what is up my dudes Ooh, that was a little what is up youtube for me um but it's still better than that fake hi guys intro i used to do i don't know why that was a choice and we're not going back to it we're not it was a bad choice um welcome to the podcast formerly known as pacific north weird because now i'm in this weird uh podcast name purgatory zone because well story time I was downtown at a bar, and this guy, I was just talking to strangers, because sometimes it'd be like that, and, uh, this guy was telling me that he's a photographer, and I was like, oh, I have a podcast, you know, odd flex, but okay, and, uh, so he's like, what's it called, and I was like, Pacific North Weird, all proud of it, and he's like, oh, like, like, the other thing called that, and I was like, what, and then I got home the next day, and I googled it, and there's, like, a web show out there with way more followers and way more, like, people know about that. So I'm like, shit, I should have Googled before I committed to it, but really it came to me when I was driving and I was like, that is a great name. And it's not that hard to get to Pacific North Weird out of PNW, so it was just kind of, like, literally parallel thought. I'm not trying to be a copycat, so I don't even know the logistics of changing the name yet, but it's something that I'm gonna get around to. And yeah, I guess I learned my lesson, and in the future, I will definitely be googling and double-checking any sort of name that I want to use for something, because does original thought even exist anymore? Definitely not to me. So today, I'm going to be telling you guys a story that I hadn't personally heard of, which doesn't happen often. And uh, the second that I started doing research on it, I just knew that I had to cover it. There were certain buzzwords that really stood out to me, and I was like, ooh. And there were just a few sentences just in the Wikipedia article that stuck with me so, like, hard. I don't know. Like, I, I really enjoyed going deep into this uh, case. I don't want to call it that. I'm not a detective. But um, I also want to say thank you to Robert for the suggestion, and he's the person who told me about the case. Um, and thank you for the awesome mugs that I got through the mug exchange. Hell yeah. So, let's jump into it. Linda Hazard was born in Carver, Minnesota, Minnesota, on December 18th, 1867, and was one of eight children born to Montgomery and Susanna Neal Burfield. At 18, she married and had two children with her husband, Samuel Christman Hazard. Samuel was an absolutely charming man who was still married to one of his two previous wives while, <laughs> while he married Linda. This resulted in a highly pu publicized trial for bigamy, and once Sam finished his two-year prison sentence in 1906, the couple moved to Washington. Once in Washington, Hazard began treating patients with her special brand of cure-all, fasting, First in hotel rooms set up around Seattle, and then finally in a sanitarium that she built called Wilderness Heights in Olala. Hazard believed that the real source of all disease was impure blood, brought on by quote-unquote impaired digestion. There's a lot of quackery in this, I just have to let you know, and if you can like, if I, can, if I sound like I can hardly hide my contempt for this lady, it's because I can't. I... <laughs> Also, I have a cold, so sorry, the sniffles are back. Sniffles are on brand for me, though, I just feel like at this point. She, is, she assured patients that any issue that they had would be cured, as fasting set off a quote-unquote detoxification process 
to rid the body of quote-unquote toxins. Weird. This all kind of sounds familiar. She wrote two books about the subject, Scientific Fasting, The Ancient and Modern Key to Health, which was written in 1927, and the other of which I had the absolute delight of reading, Fasting for the Cure of Disease, which was written in 1908. And let me tell you, it's wordy, it's flowery language of just absolute dull nonsense. I spent an entire morning, but also at the same time it was kind of riveting. There's an account of uh, what she considers a successful fast done by a man, and it's so sad reading back on it. I mean, like, and, and he lived through all of this for a while, but on the days that he actually eats food, like, his symptoms kind of get better, and he's like, huh, I feel better, but throughout the um, journal log, he, like, never makes that connection, and it's just, like, I don't know, it was, like, kind of a harrowing and frustrating read, is how I'll describe it. <laughs> She wrote that death in the fast never results from deprivation of food, but is the inevitable, there we go, consequence of vitality sapped to the last degree by organic imperfection. In other words, if you died during a fast, you had something that was going to kill you soon anyways. And kill people it did. Within the walls of the sanitarium, patients fasted for days, weeks, or months on a diet of small amounts of... small amounts of tomato and asparagus juice, and occasionally a small teaspoon of orange juice. People living nearby would come across skeletal people walking through the woods, begging for food. That's just straight horror movie stuff to me. And, uh, they- I was reading something and it said that kids would, like, be, like, horrified by these people. Because, I mean, just, like, you know, like, it's- it's it's awful. It's sad to think about, but it's just, like, the kids, all they see is, like, someone that, like, literally looks like a monster crawling, shambling towards them out of the woods. Like, that's insane. That's an insane visual, and that really stuck with me. It soon earned the nickname Starvation Heights from the locals. One of the 40 victims attributed to Hazard was a woman named Daisy Maud Hagland, She was only 38 when she died, and she left behind a three-year-old son, whose name may sound familiar to any Seattle residents, Ivar. Yeah, that Ivar, of Ivar's fame. If literally starving your patients to death isn't enough, Hazard would also administer massages, which were more like her pummeling the ever-loving shit out of her patients, screaming, eliminate, eliminate, the entire time. Yikes. Hazard's most well-known patients were a set of wealthy socialites from England named Dorothy and Claire Williamson. They were in their early 30s, and truly the kind of person with more money than sense. They were fans of following any health or diet trend that came up, a trait that would unfortunately lead to dire consequences. While visiting Victoria, BC, they had come across an advertisement for one of Linda Hazard's books. When it arrived, it also came with a brochure advertising Wilderness Heights. Neither were seriously ill, but they each felt that they were suffering from a variety of minor ailments. Dorothy complained of swollen glands and rheumatic pains, while Claire had been told that she had a dropped uterus. Whatever that is. They decided to book a retreat at Wilderness Heights without telling their family, who were already growing tired of their trend hopping. When they arrived in Seattle in February of 1911, they met with Hazard, who told them that Wilderness Heights- I have such- difficulty saying that and i don't know why wilderness heights was still undergoing construction but she would be able to treat them out of seattle living in the buena vista apartments they began their treatment 
They lived off of mainly thin vegetable broth. They went through hours-long enemas and hazard special beating massages. Which, the enemas are mentioned in graphic detail, exhaustive wording in her books. Like, I was like, there was a point where I was reading it and I was like, the fuck am I doing with my life? I'm reading about poop tubes and, like, I was just like, fuck. (laughs) I mean, like, I did this to myself, though. I willingly did this to myself. I cannot complain. Uh, it's around this time that Hazard started asking questions about the sisters' business affairs and offered to store some of their rings and property deeds in her office for them. What a nice lady. By April, the sisters were emaciated and mentally broken down. They were transferred to Alala, but not before Hazard's uh, attorney got Claire to sign papers declaring to leave Hazard £25 per year as a donation, and in case of death, she wanted her body cremated. On April 30th, the sister's childhood nanny, Margaret Conway, received an unnerving telegram, asking her to come visit them in Olala. Sailing from Sydney, Australia, she arrived in Seattle on June 1st. When she arrived at Dr. Hazard's office, she was told Claire was dead and Dorothy was insane. She was taken to the E.R. Butterworth and Sons Mortuary, which is a great fucking name, where she was shown an embalmed body, but she didn't really recognize it as Claire. Then, she was taken to Alala to see Dorothy. Dorothy was living in a bare-bones cabin. Ooh, I should have chose better wording when I was typing this. That's really funny and I didn't realize that. And resembled a living skeleton. You could feel her backbone through her stomach. Her lips were drawn, and she could no longer close them over her teeth. And somehow, the worst detail in all of this is that she wanted to stay and continue her treatment. Claire's death was explained by Dr. Hazard as being caused by a course of drugs administered to Claire in childhood, which had shrunk her internal organs and caused cirrhosis of the liver, and she had just been too far gone for the beautiful fasting treatment to save her. Margaret noticed that Hazard was wearing Claire's silk dressing gown and her favorite hat. Dorothy was shown the body mentioned before, but didn't recognize it as her sister, and thought that the corpse had been replaced with a body with more weight on it and in better condition. Dorothy then begged to leave, but changed her request overnight, so she or she was staying. Margaret stayed with her, attempting to sneak her rice and flour into the tomato broth that she now lived on. The patients were kept separate from each other most of the time, but on a 4th of July celebration, two approached Margaret, begging her to help them escape, saying that they were prisoners. She then learned that Dorothy had given the hazards the power of attorney, and they had been stealing money from her. Margaret told the Hazards that she was leaving with Dorothy, and when she found that they had legal guardianship over her, and they were not going to let her off the property. Margaret snuck away to the sister's uncle's cabin in Portland, Oregon, and arranged an escape mission with him. After being presented with a $2,000 bill from the Hazards, the now 60-pound Dorothy was on her way to Australia. She was never able to live independently again, and her relatives cared for her until her death. Forty patients died under under Dr. Hazard's care before anything was done. Their autopsies listed starvation as the cause of death, unless Hazard did the autopsy, which in that case, anything other than starvation was listed as the cause of death. She was tried for murder in January 1912. The prosecutor called her a financial starvationist and made the case that she intentionally starved her patients to death for monetary gain. The trial was also an absolute circus. She would snap at reporters covering her trial. I have told you time and time again, it's Dr. Hazard. Miss Hazard is my mother-in-law. 
she went into full victim mode, claiming that because she was a a successful woman and because of her natural cures, she was being unfairly persecuted by science traditionalists and men alike. She told reporters, I intend to get on the stand and show up that bunch. They've been playing checkers, but it's my move. I'll show them a thing or two when I get on the stand. One defense witness was accused of trying to bribe a former sanitarium nurse. Hazard was constantly called out for coaching and signaling to witnesses. The vice consul's home was burglarized, and Claire's trunk of personal papers was ransacked. Police speculated the culprit was one of Dr. Hazard's supporters. Two more patients died while Hazard was awaiting sentencing. Once it was all said and done, Linda Hazard was sentenced to 2 to 20 years in prison, which she served in the Washington State Penitentiary in Walla Walla. She was released on parole on December 26, 1915, after serving two whole years, and the next year, Governor Ernest Lister gave her a full pardon. Uh, what? She and her husband then moved to New Zealand, where she continued working as a dietitian. In 1920, she returned to Olala in Washington and opened a new sanitarium known publicly as a School of Health since her medical license had been revoked and continued to supervise fasts until it burned to the ground in 1935, where it was never rebuilt. So, in the best possible conclusion to this story, and the single sentence that confirmed that I had to do an episode on it, Linda Burfield Hazard died in 1938 while attempting a fasting cure on herself. Thanks for listening to another episode of the podcast formerly called Pacific North Weird, and now might be a good time to cancel that flat tummy tea order. Uh, Stay tuned for part two of my ooky spooky Halloween episode coming out uh, next week. And if you want to follow me on Instagram, it's at Trista Jean. And on Facebook, you can find me at the Pacific North Weird Podcast. Uh, Thanks for listening, guys. Bye!